Hey everyone, welcome to Tom French Preaching. This is the podcast of me, Tom French, preaching, just like the title says. I'm a guy who lives in Melbourne and does Bible talks for youth and other people around Australia and all over the internet. I'm also the author of Weird, Crude, Funny and Nude, The Bible Exposed, the very best book that I have ever written. For more information about my book or to see what else I've been up to, go to my website, tomfrench.com.au. And with that, let's get on with the talk. I don't know if you have uh, things that you do, which like are things that you always do. Like whatever situation, when you're in a situation, there's some things that are within your character that you will always do the same kinds of things. For instance, in my life, I, I don't quite, I don't like things to be like off, like not quite the way they should be. So like I always like cupboards to be closed and I like doors to be closed. And in, in my house, when I'm sitting watching TV, I can look to my left and I can see most of the cupboards in the kitchen. And if it's just a little bit open, I cannot watch TV comfortably knowing that there is a cupboard a little bit open. Like, I just can't do it. So I'll get up and I'll go over and I'll close the cupboard. Then I'll sit down and I'm like, now I can relax. But then sometimes my wife, who is up the back filming, hello, uh, sometimes she'll be like, hey, Tom, the microwave's open. And I can't see the microwave from where I'm watching TV. But if I know that the microwave is open, I have to go and close it. And she enjoys telling me that the microwave is open. And I'm like, oh, and then I'll get up. And then I'll go and close it. And then I'll sit down. Because it's just something within my character that I just have to have things closed. Or that um, if I'm lying in a bed, I have to have the blankets up the correct way. Or a doona up the right way. Like, you cannot have the opening of the doona at the top. It's got to be at the bottom. Because it's wrong. It's just wrong. Like you might fall in the doona. That would be terrible. And you might never get out. It's dangerous. Like, I, I don't want that to happen. So I got to have the doona the, the right way around. Or uh, in a whole nother thing, like if I meet a friendly dog, I have to say hello. You just have to say hi to a friendly dog because dogs are so friendly. In my job, one of the things they tell me is, if you meet a dog, don't say hello. Even if the dog looks friendly, even if the dog is like wearing a top hat and doing a dance, like just leave the dog alone because it might just be pretending to bite your hand off. So leave the dog. But, but if I meet the dog and the dog's like, hey, hey, how's it going? How's it going? Give me a pat. I'm like, oh, I can't do it. I'm not allowed to because, oh, hello, how's it going? Because that's within my character to say hello to friendly dogs. Well. These are things that are expressions of who I am, but in this story that we're going to look at, we are going to see an expression of God's character. And God's character is not as petty as having to have cupboards closed or blankets up the right way, as far as I know. I don't know. I assume that he likes dogs. Um, Jesus probably was friendly to dogs, but none of those things. What we're going to see in this story is that God's character is always expressing itself through the way that he relates to people. And what we see again and again throughout the Bible is that God's character is to save. That when his people are in trouble, God works to save them. And he can do it in some of the strangest ways. So the story that we're looking at is in the book of Judges. And in the Judges story, the way it works is there has been, God's people has been in slavery in Egypt. You probably know that story where there's Moses 
and then they're in slavery, and then all the plagues come, and then they escape out of Egypt, and they walk through um, the wilderness, and then they arrive in the promised land. And they're in this land, and as they've arrived in this land, they're getting settled down. And so they're there, and they're, they're meant to worship Yahweh, the, their God who has saved them. Um, but while they're there, it tells they look around, they see the other gods of the area, and they're like, oh, those gods look pretty good. Maybe I could worship those gods. Because, you know, there is Yahweh, their God, and then they're like, but oh, over here is like the God of thunder. That's pretty exciting. That's Thor, isn't it? Like, yeah. Not that there, Thor was there. He's in a different part of the world. But, you know, they might like that. Or they're like, oh, we've got the God of the harvest or, you know, the God of parties. And like, man, we want to worship those gods. And so instead of worshiping their God, they'll see other people's gods and they'll go and worship those other gods. And then what happens, as it tells us, is when that happens, another um, leader or another country will come in and start to rule over them. And then God's people are like, no, God, set us free. And then God will raise someone up who will lead them and help them escape from the, um, being ruled over by these other people. And they'll be like, thanks, God, and everything will be good. They'll worship God properly. And then they'll look around, they'll see these other gods, and they'll start worshiping them. And then God will send in some other people to rule over them. And then they're like, God, this sucks. And they cry out, and then God sends someone in to say, and it's the cycle. It just keeps happening. And as it happens, people just behave worse and worse and worse. It's called the judge's cycle. Well, that's what we're going to see in this story, but we're right near the beginning of this cycle. And this is a dude called Ehud. So let's have a quick look at this story. And we're going to start from verse 12. It says, Again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord, because they, uh, and because they did this evil, God gave Eglon, king of Moab, power over Israel. Getting the Ammonites and the Amalekites to join him, Eglon came and attacked Israel, and they took possession of the city of Palms. The Israelites were subject to Eglon, king of Moab, for 18 years. Again, the Israelites cried out to the Lord, and he gave them a deliverer, Ehud, a left-handed man, the son of Jerah, the Benjaminite. Now, this is important that it's telling us that he is left-handed. Put up your hand if you are right-handed. Great. Put up your hand if you are left-handed. Okay, right-handed people, look at these left-handed people. These people are tricky, tricky people. That is what the Bible is saying. That left-handed people are tricky people. And the reason why left-handed people are so tricky is because if you get into a fight with a left-handed person, you'll expect them to be coming at you with like a right hook. And then as you're expecting it, they bring around their left. And then you're like, no, how did that happen? You tricky left-handed person. And well, this tricky left-handed Ehud is going to do some left-handed things, some tricky things to work to save Israel. One of the things that you can do if you're a left-handed person is that you can hold a sword in your left hand and not your right hand. And so if you're in a fight with a left-handed person, you'll be expecting them to fight with their right, and then they cut their left, and it throws you right off. It's really useful. Now, the thing about this guy, Ehud, is it doesn't actually say in the original Hebrew, we can all become Hebrew scholars tonight, in the original Hebrew, it doesn't say that the left hand, that he is a left-handed person, but it says he's restricted in his right. So it could be uh, that this guy actually has a disability, that he doesn't have a left hand, a right hand, or like maybe he was born without a right hand, or maybe it like got crushed under a millstone or burnt in a fire or bitten off by a shark. Like we don't know why he can't use his right hand, but for some reason he can't use his right hand, so he uses his left hand. 
So this is Ehud, tricky left-handed Ehud, who is going to do some great things. It says this, The Israelites sent him with a tribute to Eglon, king of Moab. Now, tributes, who has seen the Hunger Games? Great, lots of you have. So in the Hunger Games, the way it works is you've got this country that everyone is in. Is it called Panem? Is that the name of the whole country? Yes. So you've got Panem, and then you've got all the different districts in Panem, and they pay tribute to the capital who rules over them all. And their tribute is like children who go and fight to the death, which is a weird tribute. But most of the time, when people are ruled over by other countries, they pay tribute because it's expensive work ruling over another country. And if you're ruling another country, you want to get something out of it. So the Israelites being ruled over by the Moabites have to pay tribute. And it could be like money, it could be grain, it could be all sorts of things. And so now they've got to go and pay these people who are ruling over them. And so they don't want to do this, but they've got to do it because these guys are in charge. So we keep going. It says, now Ehud made a double-edged sword about a cubit long, which he strapped to his right thigh under his clothing. So now here we have Ehud, the left-handed man, who has got his sword and strapped to his right thigh, because if you're going to get searched for weapons, they're going to search your left thigh, because that's where you grab it if you're a right-handed person. But he makes his own sword. Now this is also interesting, because here we have a left-handed man restricting his right, making his own weapons. Can you think of anyone in popular culture who also might be missing their right hand? Maybe someone in the Star Wars universe. Luke, Luke Skywalker, he has lost his right hand. Now, the other thing that I've heard is that, uh, and I'm pretty sure this is true, that if you're a, a Jedi Knight, what you have to do is not only do you have you missing a hand, but you also... You don't have to do that, but it seems to happen often. Uh, is that you have to make your own weapons. Like you've got to make your own lightsaber. Now, here we have a left handed man, maybe missing a right hand, who makes his own sword. What do you think that makes him? A Jedi Knight. Yeah. So I think what this is telling us in the Bible is that, that Ehud is a Jedi Knight from a galaxy far, far away who has traveled into the future to rescue God's people. I'm not sure about it. But I reckon that's what the Bible is telling us. Let's keep going because this is, this, is, this is good Bible scholarship right here. Let's keep going. It says, He presented the tribute to Eglon, king of Moab, who was a very fat man. So here we have a fat man. And before you worry that the Bible is fat shaming him, uh, this, the Bible is not always going to be PC, but it, right now it's not doing fat shaming. It's just doing Eglon shaming. Now, if you wanted to get fat in, in the Bible times, it was very difficult. Like these days, if you want to do it, it's, it's easy. Like, like if you want to eat like Maccas for breakfast, lunch and dinner, you can do it. If you want food, you don't have to spend all day getting your food. Like in these days, it was very hard to get food. Like you had to spend all day out in the fields, like tilling the ground and then, or harvesting or finding animals and hunting them and killing them or making... Like, it's a lot of work to get your food. All day you're working to get food. And so you didn't have a lot of food, and so it was very difficult to get fat. If you're Eglon, the reason why you get fat is because you're taking all the tributes and just eating them. Like, you're just like, oh, yeah, bring me your, your sheep and your goats and your gravy. I'm going to eat it all. And so the reason why he's fat is because he has been taking what is not his. He's being greedy and making it his own. So that, that's important to know about Eglon, that he is, 
He's fat because of his evilness. And that's not what the Bible's saying about everyone, just about Egon, okay? Let's keep going. So he was a very fat man. After Ehud had presented the tribute, he sent, uh, he sent on their way those who had carried it. But on reaching the stone images near Gilgal, he himself went back to Eglon and said, Your Majesty, I have a secret message for you. The king said to his attendants, Leave us. And they all left. Now, this is a strange thing to do. That if you are in this situation where you are ruling over a people... You don't send everyone out of the room. If you learn one thing from this talk is that if you ever become the ruler of a small nation, like say Tasmania, if you are ruling over Tasmania and subjugating them to your will, don't ever send everyone out of the room and leave yourself alone with one left-handed Tasmanian because they will kill you. It's very dangerous. I don't know why he does this. He just likes the idea of a secret. In the, in the original Hebrew, it doesn't say a secret message, it just says a secret. So the king here is like, your majesty, I have a secret for you. And he's saying, a secret? What kind of secret? Maybe it's a secret message. Maybe it's a secret donut. Or maybe it's some secret bacon. Oh, and then he sends everyone else like, where is this secret? And then Ehud keeps going. Ehud then approached him while he was sitting in the upper room of his palace and said, I have a message from God for you. He had an American accent, I'm sure. As the king rose from his seat, Ehud reached with his left hand and drew the sword from his right thigh and plunged it into the king's belly. Even the handle sank in after the blade and his bowels discharged. Ehud did not pull the sword out and the fat closed in over it. The king stands up, presents his full belly of all the things that he has stolen from people. He's like, Ooh, what is the secret? He's like, here's the secret. <laughs> And, like, bleh, bleh, and then the king's like, ah, and dies. This is amazing. This is in the Bible. Who would have expected it? Like when you read the Bible, you're normally expecting like nice things. Like as the deer pants for the water, so my soul logs after you. Not fat kings pooping themselves, but it's here. And one of the great things about this is it shows us that that the Bible is the greatest book in the world because not only does it have things for people who love poetry, it's got things for people like me who love stories about people pooping themselves. And, and God can speak to all sorts of people in all sorts of different ways. Now, this is it's amazing that this is happening. Um, but it, 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 he stabs him. And then, as we see in the story, after the king has been stabbed so hard that he poops himself, he escapes. It says, then Ehud went out to the porch. He shut the doors to the upper room behind him and locked them. After he had gone, the servants came and found the doors of the upper room locked. They said, he must be relieving himself in the inner room of the palace because he's locked the doors and then the attendants come up and they're like, oh gosh, that is disgusting. What is happening in there? Oh God. And then you're not going to go in like... You don't walk in on someone on the toilet. And, and if you walk, and you especially don't walk in on the king on the toilet. Like if, if you were at Buckingham Palace and you walked past the queen's bathroom, you're like, you're like oh goodness, I'm not going to walk in on that. You definitely don't walk in on the queen on the toilet. Like you don't walk in on that. And so Ehud has used the good old poop diversion to escape. Because you, like, this is a, a trick that the SAS and the Green Beret use. You like have have the poop smell and then no one will come in and he's run away. And eventually it tells us the, the people come in. It says, uh, they waited to the point of embarrassment, but when he did not open the doors of the room, they took a key and unlocked them. There they saw their Lord fallen to the floor, dead. 
So they walk in and they're like, oh my goodness, who died in here? It's like, oh, yes, someone did die in here. And he's like, oh, sorry, that's embarrassing. But they found their king dead in his poo and this is a chance for Ehud to escape. So while they waited, Ehud got away. He passed by the stone images and escaped to Sariah. When he arrived there, he blew a trumpet in the hill country at Ephraim and the Israelites went down with him from the hills with him leading them. Follow me, he ordered, for the Lord has given Moab your enemy into your hands. So they followed him down, took possession of the fords of the Jordan that led to Moab and they allowed no one to cross over. At that time, they struck down about 10,000 Moabites, all vigorous and strong. Not one escaped. That day, the Lord was made, sorry, that day, Moab was made subject to Israel and the land had peace for 80 years. And there is the story of Ehud saving his people by stabbing the fat king so he poops himself. Isn't that lovely? Now, there's a few things that I think we can learn from this story. One uh, is that what we see in Ehud uh, and what he did is we see a picture of Jesus, which is a bit strange, but we do. All the way through the Bible, we see that God is a God whose character is to save. And here we see an expression of his character. Now, in the story of the Bible, we see that with us, we are people who, like the Israelites, have done the wrong thing. The Israelites did the wrong thing and they became subject to the Moabites. The Bible tells us that we do the wrong thing and we rebel against God and we become subject to sin and to death. And so we need someone to save us. The Israelites needed Ehud to come and to save them. And he came and he saved them by stabbing the fat king and then leading them to victory. The Bible tells us that we are saved too, but not because Jesus comes along and then starts stabbing people, but the Bible tells us that Jesus himself is the king who comes and is stabbed on our behalf. That he is nailed to a cross and stabbed in his side, and by his death he rescues us from sin and death. And then Ehud calls out to the people, he says, follow me, and leads them to victory, and Jesus calls us to follow him and leads us to help other people to escape sin and death as well. So here we have God's character being to save, and it happens again and again and again throughout the Bible, that there's this echo of what God does. He does it again and again, that in this story we see a, a picture of the bigger story that God is telling. But there, are, there is another thing I think that we can learn from this story. The other thing is that God is a God who saves uh, despite where you are at. Like sometimes we think that we have to get ourselves right with God before we can turn to him and ask him for help. But in this story, the Israelites, they don't get themselves right with God before God saves them. God saves them uh, before they even know what is happening. This is what God does. Now, who goes to the dentist here? Who likes going to the dentist here? Oh, some of you, great. I hate going to the dentist. I avoid it as much as possible, so much that I haven't been for 10 years. And at the moment, I've still got teeth, which is great. But when I go to the dentist, or when I went to the dentist, what would happen was, i go to the dentist, and the dentist would be like, Tom, we're going to clean your teeth, and then you need to make sure that you go away and that you floss. And you brush your teeth morning and night, and you floss every day. I'm like, uh-huh, uh-huh, yeah, I'll do that. And like, great. And they send me away. And then I spend six months away from the dentist. And then I realize that my dentist appointment is coming up in like three days. And so then I'm like, oh gosh, I better start flossing. 
So then when I meet the dentist, that I can, he'll be like, are you flossing? And I'll be like, yes, I am, and I'm not lying. And so I try and get my teeth looking great so that when I go to the dentist, I present myself with perfect teeth to him so he's not going to judge me for my terrible teeth when I arrive at the dentist. But, and sometimes we behave with God like that, that we think, I'm in trouble, I need to call out to God, but I can't call out to him because my life is such a mess. And so before I call out to him and get my life in order, I've got to get my life right. And then I can like, do my you know, spiritual flossing. And I'll be like, God, look, now I've made my life perfect. I come to you. But God is not like a dentist. God is more like a lifesaver. Like if you are in the ocean and you are drowning, you don't try and get your life right before you call out to the lifesaver. You're not out there and like, whoa, man, I can't swim properly and I've got myself stuck in a rip and this is terribly embarrassing. It's like, I need to be saved, but first I should like make sure I know how to swim properly. Or first I should make sure that I get myself in, in a safe position out of the rip so then I can call out to the lifesaver and the lifesaver will come like, oh, well done, you've done a good job at saving yourself. No, you're like, I'm drowning, I'm dying, and you call out. And then the lifesaver comes and saves you. That's how we relate to the lifesaver. And that's how we need to relate to God. That when we look at our lives and we see that we are, have a problem, we cry out to Him. The Israelites cried out to God. It doesn't even say they knew what they were doing wrong. They just cried out and God worked to save them. And God was working in the background before they even knew it. He was saving them with Ehud. In the book of Romans, it tells us that um, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That before we even knew that we needed saving, God was working to save us in his son, Jesus. Now, we don't have to get our life right before we call out to God and ask him to save us. We just have to know that we need saving and we call out to him and he will. And then there's one more thing that I I want us to see, and that is that God will use all sorts of people uh, to work in this world. We have Ehud, and he is someone who is a left-handed man with a disability, and God uses him to save a nation. And that means that God can use all sorts of different people. When I was in high school, I remember sitting in school, and I was sitting in maths one day. I was looking at our maths teacher, and he was a, a bit of a strange man. He was one of those teachers who, like, nobody respected. And so people wouldn't listen to him. They'd spend their whole time in class, you know, um, listening to things, like, in their earphones or, you know, talking to each other or texting, whatever they wanted to. They weren't paying attention to maths. There were, he was the teacher who people would go and put stuff on top of the, the fans in the classroom so that when he came in on a, on a summer's day and turned on the fan, he like turned on and then like all these whiteboard markers and erasers would fly off and everyone would be like, oh, it's amazing. He'd be like, oh, don't do that. And I remember sitting there looking at him going, man, that would be the worst. If there's any job I would not want to do, it would be to have to hang out with teenagers and teach them. That would be terrible. And then I thought, no, no, you know what would be the absolute worst is if you had to go into schools and teach teenagers about Jesus. Now, that would be the worst. That would be the absolute worst. And I, as a teenager, I was scared of teenagers. Like, I didn't want to hang out around with teenagers. I was the guy who just spent my whole life hanging out in the library. I was, I was, I did that because I didn't know how to relate to other people. And then, and then what's amazing is that God has worked in my life and called me to hang out with teenagers. And then the job I had before I came here to Melbourne 
is I was in Sydney and I spent six years going into schools, into high schools, and telling teenagers about Jesus. And so, so me, who had, was afraid of teenagers, and still is a little bit, you guys are a bit scary, uh, I was called by God to go and do that, and he could use me. And the great thing is that God can use all sorts of people. You might look at your life and think, man, I am not the kind of person that God can use. That you might feel a little bit like a left-handed airhood. You might think because of maybe you've got a physical disability or maybe you're a, you've got a mental, mental health issues or maybe you're just you know, afraid of people or maybe you are way, way too extroverted. You're like, man, I just talk way too much. Maybe, maybe you think that your sin is too much that God can't use you. Whatever it is in your life that you think holds you back, this story shows us that God can use you because it's not really about you. It's, it was about God working through Ehud to save his people. And God work, can work through you to bring other people to a knowledge of what he has done for us in his son, Jesus. So that's an amazing thing that God's character is to save and he's always going to be wanting to save people and he can work through you to help people come to know him as well. So... To wrap up, if you are someone here tonight who isn't a Christian, then what this story means is that you don't need to get your life right before you call out to God and say, God, I'm in a mess. That God knows what your life is like and God has been working to bring you to him before you even knew it. Just like he was working to save the Israelites in this story. That God will welcome you in and say, I don't mind that your life is a mess. You can just trust in my son Jesus and he will forgive you and make it right and welcome you into his family. And if you are a Christian, then what this story says to you is that God's character is to save. And he loves you just as you are. And he can use you with all your weird things, all your insecurities, all your disabilities, all your sin. He can use you to help other people know him if you will let him. He's a God who wants to save. That's his character. Will you let him save you? And will you join him in helping other people know him so that they too might be saved? I'm going to say a prayer for us, and uh, then we will be done. Let's pray. Our Father God, thank you for your son, Jesus. Thank you that in him we see your character, your truest character is to, to save, to love us as we are, even with all our brokenness and the things that we have done which dishonor you, that you sent him to save us, just like you sent Ehud to save the Israelites. We pray that we might put our trust in Jesus, and that we might know that even when we do things that are, are wrong or when we look at our lives and we think that we couldn't be someone that you could use, that you do use us and you will use us if we let you. So I pray that we will turn to you in trust and we will trust you knowing that you want to save us and you want to use us so that other people might know you as well. pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, that was the talk. And I hope it was helpful for you. If you want more talks or to read my blog or order my book or even to book me to speak, remember to go to tomfrench.com.au. It's my home on the internet. You can also find me on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash TWFrench or on Insta at TWFrench. And don't forget to give this podcast a rating and review wherever you get your podcast so that other people might be able to discover it too. Till next time, have a good one.